0: This is Inside Berkeley. I'm Rob Hochschel. Brian Grohn is a 2008 Berkeley graduate who's at the forefront of the music streaming industry. He works as original content producer for Spotify. It's a gig that's enabled him to produce live music sessions and other types of content with major artists such as D'Angelo and Demi Lovato. He also worked for Warner for several years, a tenure that began with a Berkeley internship. Brian Grohn, thanks so much for joining us on Inside Berkeley. My pleasure. So, you've been with Spotify since 2012. What's it like to work there? Is it a technology company, a music company? What's the workplace like?
1: Well, it's very much a technology company. Uh, It was built, founded out of Sweden uh, by a bunch of music-loving tech guys, Uh, and I think that that part is super important because it's maintained uh, within the culture today, even though there's a small percentage of the people that work at Spotify that are dealing with the music industry directly, whether that's artists, labels, managers, et cetera, uh, everybody's a music lover, Uh, and it's very obvious from uh, the turnouts that we get when we bring artists to perform uh, to the opportunities that exist for artists. staff to just kind of jam out. We have a lot of instruments in house and uh so it's very much uh, it's a music loving tech company. Uh it certainly has some of the niceties of the tech company world, the startup world um things that make you very comfortable when you're there uh so that you're willing to stick around and uh, and work later into the evening hours. But uh, it's it's grown quite a bit in that amount of time. Um, there were about 75 people in New York when I started and we're upwards of 400 now. Uh, So the growth has been pretty pretty massive. And uh, as much as we can, we've kept the identity of a startup, a tech startup, but inevitably that changes when you have that many employees. So um, it's it's definitely a, it's a lively workplace. It's a it's a young, vibrant workplace, uh, and and it's a lo- open workplace. There's no offices. Uh, everybody is open floor plan. You're right next to the head of your department, uh, and that allows ideas to flow really easily as well, without kind of cre- having that barrier of having to knock on the door of an office and, and find time. People are very approachable.
0: Do you run across other Berkeley people there?
1: There's a few. Um, Katie Schlosser, uh, who is the North American director of label. Relations is Berkeley alum. Um, And, you know, I think more so in my just day-to-day work of working with artists and folks in the industry, I'm running into a lot of Berkeley folks. Um, and there are friends of mine who uh, I, I knew while I was in school uh, who are now doing great things and uh, there's opportunity to to work with them and support their music uh, really from a core starting from the fact that we were friends and we were in, in classes here. So uh, Berkeley does come up quite a bit. It also, you know, always remains like a, a qualifier in my space where, you know, most people assume that I'm probably not a musician or that I don't have music background. And then when we start talking about Berkeley, or they just hear me speak about music, there's an obvious, uh, well, well, how do you know about all that? Or Berkeley? Cool. So you're also a musician. What did you play? Uh, It's been a really great asset to be able to bring that side uh, to my work as well.
0: So let's get into what you're actually doing there in the job. Your current position is producer of original content for Spotify. So give us a sense of what the day-to-day looks like and what sort of content you're producing.
1: Sure. Yeah, so the I think part of the fun about this job on the on the day-to-day level is that it is so dynamic and 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 different every day. Uh at the at the end of it though, I think What I'm trying to do is create opportunities for artists to come into Spotify uh, and work with us to create exclusive audio and video content that's just for Spotify users, Uh, essentially as an upsell to say, hey, like, if you want to listen to this really incredible D'Angelo and the Vanguard recording that was recorded live at Spotify – you have to be a Spotify user. So we use that as an acquisition tool to get new users and also as an opportunity to extend uh, the life of the campaigns of the artists that we're working with by creating additional content pieces to roll out after their record is done. So uh, the, the most well-known stuff that we're working on right now, or that I'm working on, is the Spotify Sessions program. Uh, we do those, for the most part, live in our New York City office. Uh, we bring in about two or three bands a month. Uh, staff are invited to come out and watch. We tell the artists that while there's a while there's an audience there, it's it's very much about the recording. So feel free, if you weren't happy with a take, to stop in the middle, do it again. Ultimately, it's about creating a piece of content and another, another bit of recording that they're going to be excited about and they're going to be happy to put out and, and have it live in perpetuity, not just something that you know was aired once and then is gone. So uh, I oversee that program, um, doing the curation of which artists we're bringing in, um, fielding requests from labels and managers directly. Uh, when artists are in New York, they kind of are aware of this opportunity and what comes along with it. So we're getting pitched there. Also spend a lot of time just going through the concert listings and seeing who. Who's coming that we might want to reach out and and uh, really have had the opportunity as the company's grown and as we 've done more of these to work with bigger and, and and incredible artists folks that I never would have dreamt of working with in the past. Um,
0: yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. I'd love to hear a few of the names of these artists and maybe one one story, a success story, one one of these sessions that went, went really well.
1: Cool. So I did already mention D'Angelo, but I'll dive in a little bit more on that one because that's an artist who I pretty much would have assumed was a, a no-touch, there's no chance it's going to happen. He's one of the most enigmatic artists of, of our time right now. And, right. uh We worked with RCA, who released Black Messiah – uh, and they mentioned that there was a chance and, you know, would we be interested? I have, of course, said we'd be beyond interested. We'd do whatever we could to make that happen. Uh, and just about a, a little over a year ago in March, we ended up bringing them in. It was the full vanguard. We had Pino Palladino on bass, you had Chris Dave on drums, Isaiah wow. Sharkey on guitar, you had Kendra Foster leading the background singers, and ended up being about 13 people on our stage, which is about 20 feet wide by eight or nine <laughs> feet deep. A little crowded. A little crowded. We had uh, you know that whole rhythm section plus three background singers, three horns, and three strings, uh, and it is now still the only officially released live recordings from Black Messiah. Uh, and They're truly incredible. If you haven't had a chance to check them out, um, you can find them on D'Angelo's page on Spotify. He does a version of The Door from the record, which mm-hmm. I think is about a three-and-a-half-minute track normally. It's eight minutes on the Spotify session with a fiddle solo in the middle, and, and it's incredible. And uh, That one really opened the door for us to start – you know, having a little extra swagger when we're booking these, because come on, how can you tell me that our stage won't work for you if it worked for D'Angelo and the Vanguard? So right. uh, it was an incredible piece and one that uh, you know, I go back and listen to pretty regularly, uh, another that uh, was, was really successful for us was in a totally different genre. Uh, we did one with Demi Lovato, mm-hmm. a massive pop star, huge you know tens of millions of monthly listeners on Spotify. So we knew the demand there was going to be high. Uh, and we were able to get this incredible live session with her full band. Her live vocals were stunning, which I know is not like a given with, with pop stars, but she, she totally killed it. Uh, we were able to roll it out as a single uh, that actually got work to radio, uh, the Spotify session version, which was really cool. That wasn't really anything we've ever had happen before. Uh, And just the fans went totally nuts. I like to pull up in TweetDeck a little search to see what happens when we release these and and fans were going absolutely bonkers. So uh, we really run the gamut as it relates to genre and, and size of artists. We do them with independent artists as well. Uh, and I've had a really great track record of getting in early with some of those. Uh, we do them at South by Southwest uh, at the Spotify house, which just completed this year. Uh, my fourth South by down there. And in the past, we've had you know people like Leon Bridges uh, or Hosier or Tove Lowe uh, a year or so or six months before things really started to pop and so you can look at these examples as an opportunity of showing you know spotify's investment in an artist from early days before radios hitting you know before their numbers were massive, just being able to uh, you know trust that this was incredible music and this was an incredible artist and we'd love to work with them and uh, those are those are some of the ones we're definitely most proud of
0: so and how do you see the numbers of the data on these Uh, pieces of content compared to say the the tracks from Black Messiah itself. Are they... um do you know how many people are checking them out? Yeah, I mean, that's,
1: that's one of the joys of Spotify, for sure, is that we have, uh, we've got all the data. We know exactly who's listening to it and when, and if those users are people who are already big D'Angelo fans or if they are people who found this uh, and were listening to it for the first time, that's kind of some of the information that we like to share back as highlights, new listeners that we were able to create for the artist. So, you know, obviously the record itself garnered quite a bit of publicity and, and, and is an incredible piece of work that had been in the works for many years so that one obviously the streams from that are larger than what we're getting from the session but uh, we, you know we're able to reinvigorate the streams of the album when we release the session as well we'll put it out as a playlist where you can listen to the session up top and then you know smoothly transition right into the record and that just kind of breathes more life into that piece there so uh, we've seen really great uptake and the promotion that comes along with them is the type of promotion that uh, artists are looking for when they're releasing music putting in front of a broad audience and new releases uh, in our new Music Friday playlist and, and shouting about it on our social networks too.
0: So you mentioned earlier about the fact that you went to Berkeley having a positive impact when you do this content creation work. How does that sort of come into play? Can you cite an example of a, of a time when, uh, with a specific artist, where where you know your background as a, as a musician and somebody who was educated in music uh, came in handy in one of these?
1: Yeah, you know, I'm trying to think of like a good, a good specific anecdote. Um, One that just happened the other day was we were working with uh, Jim Eno, who's the drummer from Spoon, uh, Mm. down in Austin. Jim's an incredible producer and has this really beautiful studio, Public Hi-Fi, in West Austin, and uh, away from all the chaos of South by. We hire him every year to be our producer in residence, and we bring a bunch of artists into the studio and. Um, you know he recently is now or now he's in the process of sending us uh, mixes from those sessions and to be able to go in and sit in the studio and and really analytically focus in on a mix um, was, was something that I think he wasn't quite expecting from me and the, the comments that I brought back you know hey the, the vocal that was previously felt like a background vocal when it came in after the breakdown felt like a lead vocal and it was very forward in the mix like being able to give very direct feedback versus like hey that vocal sounded funny or that sounded different that's an opportunity for me to kind of show that I have an understanding of, of what it is that, that I'm talking about, and that definitely came from from spending time here and working with great artists and, and producers in the studio.
0: Did you ever see yourself doing this kind of work back when you were at Berkeley?
1: I didn't think that this job would could exist. Uh-huh. Um, it's really been an incredible. Uh, coming together of both sides of the passion that I have for this business, which is the creative at its core. I've been playing music my whole life. I came here to do performance, um, but really found myself a niche in the digital marketing and the streaming side of the world um, and really ran with that as I saw it growing, keeping the creative side in its own kind of silo separate. Uh, my background is also at record labels, and I didn't want anybody at the record company to think that I was there to get a record deal or that I was going to you know, slide a demo onto their desk. So I went the complete other route of just not telling anybody about that at all uh, and let my work on the business side stand on its own. Uh, And So to be in a place now where I can impact the creative from an A&R perspective um, and then down to even like on a song level perspective, kind of helping the artist select what they're going to play, what I think is going to do well on the service, what will excite and delight the users. uh, It's an incredible job.
0: You know, there's a range of opinions out there about spotify's place in the music industry even in this community there's people who are fans people who aren't so i know there's been a lot of conversation and collaboration actually between spotify and berkeley's institute for creative entrepreneurship berkeley ice they've talked a lot about sort of the future of the industry, how the model is evolving and how streaming fits into that. Just want to hear what your take is on Spotify's value. How does it serve artists and composers as well as listeners?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's so many points to this, right? I think there's – what's important to keep in context is – uh, this is a very massive shift in the industry, which you know has gone through massive shifts in the past. One could argue this might be the biggest one of all. Um, over time, the record companies have always had the ability to kind of dictate the means of consumption uh, via physical products that uh, technology advanced over time, but they were able to constantly get people back in to have to get their music this way, of course, uh, whether it was on a record or an A-track or then a CD. Um, and then coming to streaming and, and going away from from ownership um, while it, potentially took a hit on the recorded revenue side, at least while streaming is growing. What it did do is open up the opportunity for all artists to be able to build fan bases on a level like they never were able to in the past. The amount of investment required to discover a new artist in the past was way higher. It took a lot more intent and in in a lot of cases, a lot more money uh, to decide whether or not you even liked this artist yet. Uh, I think the democratization of what we've been able to do and build a platform where you and I could sing a song right now, upload it through an aggregator, and have it just as easily searchable on the platform as, uh, as you know, Katy Perry is, is something that is very different than, than what existed in the past. So um, the service is growing. Uh, we're close to 100 million monthly active users at this point. And you know, we didn't necessarily teach those users to stream or to get their content online. This is something that's been happening across all media for, for quite some time now. And Spotify's goal was really, how do we monetize? that how do we remove folks from piracy or from lesser paying situations into at least paying something? Uh, The free service is that. It's full of music, but it's also full of functional limitations. You can't take it on the go uh, as properly as you could with paid service. You get the advertisements. You don't get the skip. And so the thought has always been let's show people who are illegally downloading that there's this much more elegant way of consuming music um, and kind of give them a little taste of it and then say, man, it would be really great if I could – make this available for myself offline or if I didn't have to listen to these ads. And then you get a user who's spending $120 a year on music, on recorded music, which um, is, is greatly higher than, you know, what the average iTunes buyer spends or what the average CD buyer was spending. Uh, so that, that's really the point that we're trying to get to. Uh, and that speaks to the revenue around recorded music. But the other major piece here is that uh, there's opportunity to have an understanding of who your fan base is and connect with them in a way that never existed In the past, if you think about, um, you know, selling a CD at Best Buy, you get the end cap at Best Buy, and it's this great look, and you know, you get that look for that week, and the user buys a CD, and then you have no connection to that person whatsoever going forward. You don't know how many times they've shared it, how many times they listen to it, what songs they're listening to, uh, and so that leaves a lot of ambiguity uh, in understanding. What's working for your music and what's not, uh, and so with Spotify, we're able to really provide that information on an extremely granular basis to all the different entities in the in the music industry. Uh, record labels are able to look through an analytics tool for the content they deliver to us, uh, and potentially even more exciting is the artist-specific tool that we've got. Uh, you can check out all of that at Spotifyartists.com. It's an incredible resource that'll give you information on everything from getting your music live onto Spotify, how you do that, uh, as well as best. Practices, how to like kind of prime the pump and get things going. Sharing your music, how to um, take advantage of the data that's there. Um, and we're getting a lot of different folks talking about how that data is useful. Right? you've got A and R guys who are looking at consumption patterns across a record to determine, uh, you know, what the next single is going to be. Radio promo guys, the same sort of thing. And a lot of times, it's different than what they thought it was going to be. Uh, but it's a bit undeniable when you look at the user information to say, well, obviously track two, this was the single. Everybody knows this track. Uh, But for whatever reason, track eight seems to really be killing it and it's killing it in this region. So maybe that's what we start working at radio next. And you can do that with information versus just your gut. I think that's a pretty a pretty massive opportunity. Uh, and then the, the final piece that I want to speak to is is kind of the the opportunity to connect with fans. One of the really exciting things that we've been doing now is um, identifying super fans and various tiers of super fans for specific artists within the platform uh, and then allowing artists to work with us to to communicate with those super fans. So we can tell you that these are your biggest fans in X city or region, uh, and would you like to offer them pre-sale, for a concert before anybody else is able to do it. Um, down in Austin this year, we were able to test some stuff out there where we had 50 bands at South by. Uh, for two bands each day, we went in and we found their biggest fans in the Austin, Texas area, and we invited them to the Spotify house to skip the line and get a chance to see their favorite artists. Uh, we also didn't tell them, but we were going to give them a chance to meet the, the artists as well. And uh, in explaining this to the artists, you know, hey, is it cool? Are you down to spend 10 minutes with these fans? These are who they are. They're actually the people who stream your music the most of anybody in this region. It was a hundred percent reaction of, well, of course, it's amazing. I'd love to do that. How can we find opportunities to do this at scale? Uh, Daywave, another, uh, I believe another Berkeley alum, uh, was one of the artists that we did that with. And now we're in talks with his management company on how we can, you know, at least provide him the opportunity to connect with fans in that exact same way at every stop on the road and really build these, these deep connections and, and create fans that are going to, you know, be massive vocal advocates for you and, and, and share your music. And they're the ones that are more likely to pay for content tickets and more likely to buy merchandise. So really engaging these fans and giving them something back so that, you know, they feel a return on their investment that they have in the artist beyond just loving the music itself. So um, I look at it as that was a very, very long-winded answer (laughs) to, uh, to where we fit, but it's it, it, it kind of is required. We can't look at Spotify the same way that we used to look at uh, sales partners uh, in the past. We are a sales platform. We generate revenue for artists and labels. We have content delivered to us officially, but we're also a marketing platform for artists and, and their tours and their merchandise. Um, and, uh, and we're an editorial platform where we've got folks who are coming back to specific playlists or genres where we can put artists into the mix there, um, regardless of whether they're independent or signed to the biggest, Record label uh, and put them on that even playing field and let people discover their music.
0: You were at Berkeley and then uh, you went off. You were in a band for a while and then you came back to Berkeley. And particularly interested in what it was like when you came back to the college. Um, what was that like for you? What what sort of was in your toolbox at that point that helped you through getting uh, back into your education and moving toward graduation?
1: Yeah, you know, it was actually a it was a beautiful set of circumstances that at the time seemed not very beautiful and very end of days for me as <laughs> I had uh you know left Berkeley to go pursue some music back in uh, my hometown of Minneapolis. Um, and all the all my instructors at the time, faculty, said, listen, this is a cool opportunity. You should go do it. We'll still be here when you get back. If you want to come back in six months or six years, it doesn't matter. Like, go do this. The faculty was super supportive, and, and I think that was helpful uh, in making the leap. Uh, played in this band for about two and a half years, uh, kind of as a hired gun uh, out of Minneapolis. And it exploded in, in all sorts of terrible fashion, as as many, uh, many do. Uh, and coming back, I had the... He had two and a half years worth of experience in the studio, um on the road. Uh, and just like struggling to be a musician, but understanding what really went into it uh, and kind of deciding for myself that um, that necessarily wasn't what I wanted to be doing going forward, but that, of course, I still wanted to be in music. Uh, my first stint at Berkeley was doing uh, vocal performance. Uh, and then when I switched back, I had decided that you know, maybe music business was the right opportunity for me. Uh, and so I was able to uh, you know, kind of come back in with the mindset of somebody who had spent some time on the road and playing but also really wanted to understand more about the business side and um, the ever-changing world of of music business, but from the mindset of an artist as well. And so coming back in, um, you know, it was a whole new group of friends. Most of the people that were here when I was there my first time around had had graduated. Um, I had switched majors, so it was a whole new set of faculty uh, but it was really it was an exciting opportunity to take some of the knowledge that I had and that I was gaining concurrently uh, in working with Warner Music Group as a college rep while I was at Berkeley to uh, get a really unique and fresh um, angle on on the education side of it, balanced against the real life experience. So it was it, it was fantastic. I you know I'm still in contact with several of my music business prof- professors. I saw several of them already this morning, and uh, you know it's just. I, I think it's a, a very difficult challenge to teach the music business. It's such a moving target. Uh, even six months is enough to to flip everything on its head. So uh, I've got a lot of respect and admiration for the crew here that are you know constantly trying to stay on top of the trends or ahead of the trends to prepare Berkeley students for for what's out there.
0: Brian Groen is an original content producer for Spotify and a 2008 Berkeley graduate. Learn more about our former students at berkeley.edu/slash alumni. Listen to all of our podcasts on SoundCloud and in the iTunes Store. For Inside Berkeley, I'm Rob Hoschild.